0: Isn't that life that, that we would love to make a deal with God and trade places with other people sometimes? Um, sometimes we feel like we're running up a hill. We set a new um, height in our career with our company and our marriage and our family. And we keep putting one foot in front of another, trying to get to the top. And it's not always as easy as it seems. Uh, It reminds me of this past summer. We were down at the uh, Happy Church in Jackson, Kentucky um, with these beautiful people behind me. We're on a middle school serving trip, okay? So this is chaos at its best if you've never been on one of these. Um, after like three days of serving, we're like, we're going to go for a hike, okay? So we t- talk to Pastor Mike. And Pastor Mike is like, okay, here's the city folk trail <laughs> that you guys want to take. It's like a half a mile. It's basically just like a saunter through the woods, right? So we're like, that sounds like the perfect place, Mike. So we head there. We drive there, okay? We're about to start out on the trail. And we're following our middle school pastor, Ellen, okay? And that's going to become very important here in a moment. So store that away. We leave the water in the van because it's such a short walk, right? And we start walking, okay? And we're going 15 minutes. Kids are taking like selfies with squirrels. You know, we're looking at the overlook and quickly that 15 minutes turns into like 30 minutes and (laughs) starting to lose the pep in my step. and, And then it's 45 minutes and 50 minutes and 60 minutes. And I'm starting to think, this is the longest half a mile on the face of the earth, right? Like, am I in the twilight zone? Like, what is going on? And we keep walking up hill after hill, and I'm thinking, surely the parking lot is up here, right? Like, it's been an hour and 10 minutes. I know I'm out of shape, but we should be getting the parking lot. And we finally, we're slow, we finally ask another hiker, like, hey, are we on the half a mile trail? And they're like, oh, no, you're on the three-mile loop. <laughs> and, and let me tell you, friends, like, three miles in Appalachian, Kentucky is a lot longer than a half a mile, okay? Um, And we survived, right? We're not all living in a cave in the mountains somewhere. We made it back. It was fine. Um, You know, and Ellen is great. I'm not saying it's Ellen's fault, but I'm also not saying it wasn't Ellen's fault. Uh, (laughs) Because somehow we we missed a trail marker and we got off on the wrong trail, you know? And I would follow Ellen anywhere, just not on a trail in the woods, okay? Um, (laughs) Okay. And I think that's so true of life that sometimes we can get on the wrong trail so easily without even knowing it, right? And we think it's going to be a half a mile little saunter and it turns into a grueling three-mile loop. And when that happens, I think it, it forces us, if we're logical, to start to have questions about the God of the universe. Like, is he real? <laughs> like, does he see me? Does he have a plan for my life? Like, any of those things, And the the good news here, friends, is when you start to have questions like that about God, um, you don't need to like pontificate by looking up at the heavens and staring at clouds. You don't need to wonder by looking down at your belly button. Um, You just need to look at the life of Jesus. That the Bible, it says this about Jesus. It says that he is the image of the invisible God. So, so it's hard to like picture God, right? Like this big ethereal thought of God. And, and the Bible says if you want to know what God's like, like what he values, how he would treat people, then look at the life of Jesus. It's like show and tell for the unknown, unseeable God is here's Jesus. Well, today we're going to be doing just that. We're going to be looking at questions about the life of the most interesting man to ever walk the planet. Questions from our very own horizon, students and children. So let's take a look at question number one. So my name is Gabby and I was just wondering why um, I accidentally threw a stick at my sister's head when I didn't actually want to, when I got too angry and lost control. (laughs) <laughs> oh, man, I love Gabby. So Gabby, I can't tell you the number of times I have accidentally <laughs> chucked a stick at somebody's head when I didn't mean to, but it just it just kind of happens. Like, let's be honest. Um, and when I was little, it was more like Hot Wheels throwing at my brother's head. Um, and now that I'm 46, it's kind of changed, right, because I don't want to get arrested. So I'm not really throwing, like, Hot Wheels or sticks. It's more like I throw, like insults or if I'm being more honest it's probably like behind their back slander right when I get angry and Gabby if I'm being really 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 honest in my case it's not even really like accidental so much it's kind of intentional right like I'm like I know I probably shouldn't do this but I'm so mad I'm just gonna go ahead and say this about that person well, well if you're in the same boat with Gabby and I, like, know that you're in good company. Because there's also a guy in the Bible, okay? Kind of a hero of our faith named Paul. He wrote a lot of the New Testament. And he says something very, very similar. Okay, he says it this way. He says, for what I am doing, I do not understand. Like, I'm confused about my life. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. Right, and doesn't that ring true? Like, the things that you will to do that you just know these are good things, they're healthy, right? I know it's not a great word, but like the things I should do, like those are so hard to do consistently, right? You're like, I should eat healthy food, right? And that's like so easy for like an hour, right? (laughs) And then you walk into a room and there's a pizza and you smell it and you're like, ah, oh, I should eat healthy tomorrow, right? Um, or, or you go home and you're like, I should work out tonight. I just should work out. And I look and there's the treadmill and the couch and the treadmill and the couch. And then I just sit down on the couch because it's like game over, Netflix, right? That it's hard to do what we will to do, but it's so easy to do what we hate. And hate's a strong word. So think like the things you know just aren't good for you, Okay. So, like, I know I shouldn't lie, right? Like, Christian, atheist, Buddhist, like, we all know, like, lying's bad, right? No matter where you're at, you're like, ah, I I shouldn't lie, right? So I push against that, and I'm like, I'm not going to lie, I'm not going to deceive. And then, friends, I go to the dentist, okay? And you're sitting at the dentist, right? They got you in the torture chair, and the lights are shining on you, and they stick the torture device in your mouth. You know, and you're sitting there. And the hygienist is like, "So, Mr. Ventura, you know how's how's flossing going, right?" I'm like, "Oh, you know, it's going pretty good. You know, like I try to floss every day. Excuse me. Glad you're all sitting far away. Um, but you know, I don't get it every day. but Most days, right? But truth be told, like I hadn't bought dental floss since like Obama was in the office. Okay, like <laughs> I don't even know why I'm lying to this woman, right?" I, and it creates this, like, predicament that Paul felt, that Gabby feels, that I feel of, like, why do I sometimes <laughs> do what I know is wrong even when I know it's wrong? And it points to, friends, we're talking about Jesus today. It points to why Jesus came to earth. Okay, this, this idea of why do I throw sticks at people accidentally, well, that's why Jesus came to earth. I Many of you thought about that, like why Jesus left beautiful heaven for earth? Was he just, like, bored? He's like, you know what, I just need to get out of the house, stretch my legs. I'm going to head to earth. Right? Or it was God the father? God the father was like, Jesus, you're old enough now, you got to get a job. Or you're going to have to start paying rent, Jesus. Right? Like, no, that's ridiculous. That's hilarious to think about, but it's ridiculous. That, that actually Jesus comes to earth on a mission. Okay, he is on a mission. And his mission is to help us with this concept of why do I do things sometimes that I know are wrong. And I don't care. Okay, and it's a tiny little word, okay, it's a tiny little word and it's got really big theological implications, okay. And I'm not even going to say it out loud because sometimes when you say the word out loud, you lose everybody and they listen to nothing else that you say. Okay, but the word, it's three letters and it rhymes with win, and it starts with an S, okay. Um, and I'm not even going to say it, okay, so don't lose your minds. Um, but what it is, what I call it is I call it the me disease. Okay, it's the me disease, right, that like if I'm being honest... And I'm not going to say this out loud, you know, unless I'm on stage, but if I'm being honest, like life is all about me, right? That I, we're all born with this kind of default internal setting, okay? And it's a little bit of a brokenness, a little bit of a disease that says, hey, life's about me. I want what I want. I want it when I want it. I want it how I want it. And if you get in the way of that, I might accidentally throw a stick at your head, right? Right? That we're all kind of in our minds, these little kings and queens of our own kingdoms. And we sit on these little thrones, right? And everyone around us, they're our loyal subjects. They don't know it, right? <laughs> Doesn't matter if they know it, because they're my loyal subject. And if they tick me off, they don't do what I want, then I'm tempted to lash out at them, right? I'm tempted to lash out and hurt them. Um, and, and it sounds kind of cute, but then when you think of like a marriage, like if you're both sitting on your own thrones and... You know, she's my loyal subject, but I'm her loyal subject. Well, then what happens when we start banging heads on something, right? And what we see with the meat disease is we see it from the cradle to the grave, right? There are tiny, cute little toddlers that are chucking sippy cups in your face, right? And you're like, what is the deal? And then there are tiny, cute little grandmas and grandpas that are chucking walkers at your knees, right? And you're like... What is going on? And it it sounds kind of cute calling it the me disease and talking about tiny little cute toddlers. But there's actually a whole lot of consequences and kind of implications of the me disease, right? That as we all start reacting to one another as kings and queens of our own little kingdoms, um, as Gandhi puts it, that when we all live with an eye for an eye mentality, we leave the whole world blind. Right, the me disease, it causes brokenness in our marriages, and our friendships, in our businesses. And as that multiplies out, it, it creates a broken world. Okay, but the, the good news is, is that we don't have to live with the me disease. We don't have to live under its rule. Um, that's the reason, as I said, that Jesus came. And it, actually, in another question later today, we're going to unpack a little more of what that looks like. Okay, but let's move on to question number two. Hi, my name is Natalie. Did Jesus ever feel surprised because he was totally God, so we knew everything was coming, but he was also totally man, so we felt every emotion? Whew. It's a great question, Natalie, and i thought a lot about this, okay? And I made this as concise and precise and profound as I can possibly make it. So you might want to write this down, people. It's going to be big, okay? Okay. Um, Sort of maybe, <laughs> Natalie. Sort of maybe. Jesus was surprised. Like, as she so eloquently put it, Jesus is fully divine, 100% God, 100% man. My Madeira math can't make sense of that, but somehow it's true. And we certainly see the divinity in him that he's like healing people and walking on water and raising people from the dead. Even the divinity and this idea of being surprised that he knows what's going to happen in the future. He's like, hey, Judas is going to betray me before it happens. Hey, Peter is going to deny me before it happens. That There's certainly divinity. Um, but then also Jesus is in a human body. So he chooses to limit himself in some ways. We're like over here, the God of the universe doesn't need to eat. But over here, Jesus eats. And over here, the God of the universe, he doesn't need to take naps. But over here, Jesus is taking naps in boats. Jesus was a napper, if you like napping. Okay. Cool, right? Um, So somehow, though, in this idea of did Jesus limit himself so that he could be surprised. In the New Testament, we never see the words together. Jesus was surprised. Okay? It just doesn't exist. The closest we come is a word called marvel. Let's throw that up there behind me. You'll see times where it says Jesus marveled. Okay? And that also can be translated as astonished. Just getting pretty close to surprised, right? Like, eh. you know, in this situation, Jesus is talking to a Roman uh, military leader. And the leader is like, Jesus, I need you to heal my servant. He's deathly sick. And Jesus is like, okay, let's go. Let's go to your house. We're going to heal your servant. And the leader says, no, you don't even have to come to my house. Like, just say the word. I think the guy had a dirty house. So he's like, don't come to my house. Um, (laughs) And Jesus is like, fine, your servant's healed. And as the guy went, he's healed. And, and after that, this is what Jesus says about him. He says, he marveled at the man. He was astonished at the man's faith. Like, did he not know that the man was going to come up to him that day? I don't, ew, I don't know. Um, another story, which I think gets the closest to Jesus being surprised, is he's walking through um, the marketplace with his disciples. And there's a big crowd and somebody grabs at his robe. Okay, A woman that has this infirmity that she's had for years and years. And she's immediately healed. And Jesus stops everybody. A big crowd, just imagine. He says, stop! Who touched me? Right? It seems totally like he's surprised, right? Maybe he is, but I kind of think he's playing coy here, right? Where he wants her to have the the confidence and the faith to say, hey, Jesus, I touched you. Like, I need to be healed. So maybe he's totally surprised. Maybe he's playing possum. I don't know. That's kind of where you get to the, like, sort of maybe... Jesus gets surprised, but friends, and Natalie especially, here's what you need to know: is that like the God the Father, he never limited his divinity by taking on human flesh. So God the Father, here's what he does. He sits, and our whole lives sit in his lap like a storybook. Okay, and he can flip from the first page to the last page, any page in between, anytime he wants. And there's not a period or a question mark or a conjunction in our whole story that surprises him. He knows they're all coming. And he's never, ever caught off guard. So was Jesus surprised? Uh, sort of, maybe, possibly, not sure. Question number three. Hi, my name is Bryson. I'd like to know if Jesus' disciples recorded every miracle he did. My name's Gabby, and I was just wondering, like, how um, Jesus, how we walked on water. Hi, my name is Addison. Did Jesus really feed thousands of people with one little boy's lunch? It's a great questions. Who we got there? We had Bryson. Got to give credit where credit's to due. Bryson, Gabby, and Addison. I love these questions about miracles because I think they hint at the wonder that we all feel as children. Right, like take yourself back. For some of us it's a few decades. For some of us it's a few more decades, right. You're a little kid, you're five or six and you're hearing all of these fairy tales about life. Right, you're hearing about Peter Pan and Cinderella and the three little pigs. And your little mind is just filled with wonder, you know. And then then you hear about Jesus at about the same time. You know, and they start to all kind of just mix together into this pantheon of like, characters in your mind. And as you grow, you start to think, well, maybe Jesus is, like, is he part of the Peter Pan thing? Like, I wish Neverland was real and I wish I could fly. Like, is Jesus a wish or is he a, a real thing, right? And, and maybe you're a little, little person who's now an adult and you've never quite settled that in your mind. Um, so I want to help with that beforehand and the, this idea that Jesus was definitely a real Man, there is no doubt about it. We can argue about divinity all we want, but he certainly existed, okay? And just a cursory search around, I found no less than seven sources, contemporaries of Jesus who weren't Christian sources who mention him. Okay, one is Tacitus. Okay, Tacitus is in the uh, Roman Empire. Um, He served under Emperor Vespasian, I believe is the name. And he's not even a big fan of Jesus, (laughs) But he's writing about Jesus and the Christians, and he says this. It says, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations. Does not like the Christians. Called Christians by the populace. Christus, Christ, from whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our procreators, Pontius Pilate. And we've heard all of those names, right? Pontius Pilate. You hear it at Christmas. Or I'm sorry, you hear it at Easter. Um, So Jesus was a real guy. Like he definitely existed. If that's been a question maybe lingering in the back of your head, you can put that one to bed. Okay? And we we read in the New Testament that Jesus, to their questions, Jesus um, performs 37 individual miracles. Okay, over the course of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 37 distinct ones, all right? Um, And Bryson started with like, are there other miracles in the Bible? And I'm going to say yes. Okay, so the book of John, it ends with these words. Okay, he's talking about all that Jesus said. He said, there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose, and I think the suppose there is a big word, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Right, like I I don't know if he's literally saying like the world could not contain all of the books. Like the world's a big place. Um, But I think he's saying there's so much that like we just couldn't even get to, guys. Um, So Bryson, if you ever listen to this, Jesus, I think, performed other miracles. Okay, I think that would be a cool pull aside one day into heaven to be like, Jesus, what else did you do? You know, tell me about it. Um, So he performed other miracles. Well, then to the other questions, how does he do these miracles? Right, like how does he walk on water, how does he feed 5,000 people? I mean, was Jesus like David Copperfield meets Chris Angel and he's like this master illusionist, right? So he like strolls into the room, he's got like eyeliner on, you know, the fans behind him are blowing and he's like, look over here. I don't think so, right? Like Jesus was not the best showman, okay? Like he, he tried to avoid crowds. He would often do a miracle and be like, hey, don't tell anybody I did that, right? Like he, he didn't. He wasn't a master illusionist by any means, okay? And then you go to, well, how did he do him? Did he fake him, right? Maybe he faked him, right? That's totally it. Um, you know, well, how do you fake walking on water when there's waves, Have you thought about that? Like we can all think of like a pool. And you're like, oh, he could put like plexiglass under there, which didn't exist. Or glass. I don't know if glass existed. You tell me. I don't know. Um, But he's walking on water on a sea that has waves, people. (laughs) Okay, you can't really fake that. There's nothing that can go under you. Getting the work out here. Um, (laughs) There's no way to fake that. And how do you fake feeding 5,000 men plus women and children with one little boy's lunch? You got caterers hiding like behind bales of hay somewhere, you know, doling out fish and bread like their lives depend on it. Like you just, there's no way to fake those things. So they either happened or they didn't. And I kind of believe they happened. There's a lot of witnesses. Well, then how did he do it? How in the world do you do that? Well, the divinity side of Jesus, he's God. So he had control over every single molecule in all of existence. So he's just like, hey, water, hold me up. Right? So easy. Or, or, hey, fish, or hey, bread, keep multiplying. I'm going to keep tearing. You just keep coming at me. Okay, here we go. Right? Like he's just in control. So there's not a beautiful answer to how did he do it other than he's God. I, I think it's kind of cool to think about why he did the miracles. Right? Like I think some of it at a base level is Jesus is just meeting human need as he encounters it. Okay? That he, think of it. The loving God, loving and perfect God among his people. And he's walking around and he sees somebody that's sick. And he says, I can heal them, so I'm going to heal them. Right? like I'm going to heal him. I love him, Or he's teaching in a, in a huge meadow and there's thousands and thousands of people and they're hungry and it's, it's Sunday so Chick-fil-A is closed. Okay? Um, so he's like, how am I going to feed all these people? And he, he feeds them because he loves them and they're hungry. So I think at a base level he's meeting human needs. I think also though that he's proving who he is. That he wasn't a showman out to be Hollywood famous but he was trying to prove that he was the son of God because he wasn't the messiah that they expected. They wanted a messiah that came in like the rock, you know, in the action adventure movies right now, you know. Uh, and it had a broad sword and just took out the romans, right? That's what they wanted. And instead they got Jesus, a messiah who came in talking about loving and forgiveness and the one time, the one time that one of his guys draws a sword and cuts somebody, Jesus says, "Hey, put your sword away" and then puts the guy's ear back on, right? Like it's so frustrating for the Jews, if they're expecting a conquering Messiah. So he did these miracles to kind of prove hey, I am I'm the Son of God, you can trust me. And I think the miracles stand to help us with our faith today, too. Let's go to question number four. Hi, my name is Lenora. Why God died? All right, so Lenora, possibly the, the cutest girl to ever exist. Um, just ask the question, why did God die, okay? And she reminds me of Cindy Lou Who from The Grinch Who Stole Christmas, right? Where are you, Christmas? That little girl. Kenny's going to sign me up for the band right now. Um, so adorable. But Lenora, I'm going to shoot you straight. Lenora, you were asking a question about the most profound and pivotal moment in all of human existence, Lenora. Like I don't know how to answer that in three minutes. Like a whole lot happened. Like if the God of the universe really shrunk himself down into a human and came and willingly died for us and then rose again three days later. Like that, a whole bunch of stuff happened there. Okay. I don't have time to get into it all. Um, I don't know if I need to. But I could talk about things. um, I could talk about things like Christus Victorious. Right. That's a really fancy sounding thing. I could talk about even something that will make you giggle. It's called penal substitution. That's a real word. Um, You know, but I don't have to get into that because I think it's more simple. That actually the question isn't, why did God have to die? The question is, why did God choose to die? Right? Why did Jesus choose to die? Because nobody was making him do anything, right? Like, he walked on water. He turned a tiny lunch into feeding thousands and thousands of people. He rose people from the dead. He he rises himself from the dead. Nobody forced him to do anything. That there's this choice that Jesus makes to die But to Lenora's question, well, why did he do it? And to answer that, I want to look at the most famous verse in the whole Bible. Okay, you ready for this? It's going to be fun, okay. It's John 3.16. And maybe you've seen it if you've been watching a football game and there's some Yahoo holding like a poster board, you know, behind the field goal thing. And he's like waving it and it says John 3.16 on it. And I remember seeing that at the age of 10 and I'm like, who's John and what is happening on March 16th? Right? Like I am confused, befuddled, bewildered. Help me out here. And as I read that verse, though, as I got older, okay, I was like, oh, there's a lot here. Okay, so I want to break it down into three segments real quick. Again, we're talking about why did Jesus choose to die? Okay, the first part of the verse says this. It says, for God so loved the world. Okay, for God so loved the world that the motivation for everything that's about to happen in the verse, the motivation for all we're going to talk about in the next couple of seconds is love. That God looked out into the world and he saw Lenora, he saw Ryan, he saw Todd, he saw all of us, and he said, I love them so much that I'm gonna do something. All right, what's he about to do? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Okay, so motivated by love, love for you, love for me, love for Lenora. God gives his son. And what's going on here with gave? Is this some sort of crazy cultural thing where it's like you gave children at special occasions, right? You like show up and you're like, happy anniversary, Bob. Here's my three-year-old. No, it's not that. Um, the word gave here is delivered. That's saying motivated by love for us, God the Father. He delivers his son to us so that we could kill him, right? Delivered to be crucified. And, and again, to Lenora's question about... Well, why did God have to die? Or my rephrasing of why did Jesus choose to die? Well, what do we get? We've got to finish the verse. So, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So, over here, if this is a math equation, we got A, God's amazing love for you, for me, for Nelson. All right. B, that he delivers his Son to die. Well, why did he have to die? C, so that we could have eternal, everlasting life. Right? But it still hasn't answered the question. Why did he choose to die? Like, why did he choose to die? Like, couldn't he have just like waved it all away, like clapped his hands, wiggled his nose, blinked his eye, like just, or just like what we do when somebody apologizes, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Um, no, we gotta go back to the, the me disease, my friends. That the me disease is cute and cuddly as it sounds, it actually. <laughs> It has some serious implications, okay, that the me disease not only brings brokenness into our relationships and into our world. That when the me disease entered into our world, it actually brought with it physical death. Did you know that God's original design did not involve humans dying? That when God created man and woman, it wasn't, there was no expiration to it. They were meant to be eternal And the knee disease comes in, okay, and out of that brokenness, the fruit grows of physical death. And God, again, motivated by his great love, he wants us to be with him for eternity, everlasting life. But we have this death problem in the middle here, okay, and it had to be solved. So what Jesus does is he takes death head on. He has to conquer it, right? It's the fruit of the meat disease. So he has to beat it. He has to conquer it. Okay, so Jesus takes the best shot that death can give him. So just imagine if you ever watched Rocky, right? Jesus takes the punch, right? He takes the best shot death can give him. He's down for a three count, three days, get it? Uh, He's down for a three count. And then in like one of those cheesy 80 movies where the villain just kind of like pops back up. Right? Jesus isn't the villain, but Jesus pops back up and he punches back conquering death once and for all, right? That the, the root had to be taken back or taken out or else the fruit would continue to grow in our lives. So again, to answer Lenora's question, why did God have to die? Why did Jesus choose to die? Well, because he loved us so much and he longed to spend eternity with us and he had to take care of the problem, the death problem and here, right about here in my equation, exists some important word, too, that it's whoever believes. That, friends, the great news about this story, about the mea the disease and about the reason the most interesting man in the whole world ever lived is that we don't have to do anything to earn it. All we got to do is believe it. All we got to do is believe that God loved us so much that he delivered Jesus so that we could have eternal life. It's just, it's belief. That's the key. Like, how amazing. So then if you lie to your dental hygienist, you're not excluded? Well, no. Yeah, yeah, it's not really about that. Not good. You know, you should apologize. (laughs) But it's not about that. That's not the key. Right? So Lenora, why did God have to die? Because he loved us so much. And he chose to die so that he could spend eternity with us. Last question, folks. Okay, and this is a, uh, you, we've been texting in our questions. Remember my deep and profound question about hair and Chick-fil-A? Um, some of you have been texting in great questions as well. Okay, and one of them came in. Okay, and I want to read it to make sure I get it right. It said this. It said, why do I feel I have to force religion into my life? Why do I feel I have to force religion into my life? And I love this question because it is so brutally honest, right? Like, whoever you are, you didn't fluff this up with any religiously sounding words. And I think think the person who wrote this is like sitting in church on a Sunday and like, you know what, I would so much rather be like golfing or eating French toast in like a restaurant, but I just feel like I have to go to church, you know, and it's a little frustrating. I don't know. Uh, But what I would say, if that's you, maybe you have that thought, like why do I feel like I got to keep doing this? Um, Here's what I would say is you are not alone. That think back on all of eternity, all of known man that we've known, every culture has had a god or a deity. Like every single one of them. Right now on earth, there are over 7,000 spoken languages. Okay? I don't know if you knew that. And I don't know if that includes like Vulcan or like whatever Chewbacca speaks from Star Wars. I mean, I know Chad has those memorized. He's like fluent in both. Um, I don't know if it includes that or not. Um, but what I do know is of those 7,000-plus languages, some of them are very rudimentary. They don't have words for, like, colors or numbers. But do you know what every one of those 7,000-plus languages have a word for? God. Deity. Some sort of upper, higher power. And I wonder why. Like, and I think, I think what that tells me is that every single one of us, that we have this innate knowledge or longing for something greater than ourselves, that we just know it, it's got to be about more than these 75 or 85 years on this spinning rock that's spinning around the Milky Way, that there's got to be more, right? And, and I think we feel that. And that's why in 7,000-plus languages, there's a word for God. French philosopher Pascal puts it so eloquently, better than myself. He says, hey, there's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God, the creator. So Pascal's saying, hey, there's a hole in our hearts and it's God-shaped. Okay, and we feel it. We feel the the, the, ting, the the pain of that and we try to fill it with other things like success. If I'm just successful enough, then that, that'll go away, that ache. Or we try to fill it with like comfort. If I just have everything figured out, I don't have to worry about retirement, I'm great, then that ache, it'll go away. Or we try to fill it with adventure. If I can just go to Las Vegas again. We try to fill it with romance. If I just meet the right person and we're, we're shoving everything we can in there and it doesn't work and we, we're left with what I call the longing, friends. That each of us, we have this longing for something greater than what we can see with our physical eyes. And it leaves me with the question, of well, what do we do with the longing? Do we just keep trying to Stuff new things in there? Like new golf driver, chick. Right? Well, I think when we're in the dark on anything in life, which really this longing is you're in the dark on like what's the purpose of my life? Is there an eternity? Is there God? Is God good? Does God know me by name? Like all those questions, you're in the dark. When you're in the dark, you try to get illumination, right? Like you look for light when you're in the dark. So, so guilty habit here, guilty pleasure, I'm going to confess to you all, okay. I am a big fan of survival shows, all right. My children will laugh at me. Not survivor, think even nerdier, okay. Survival shows where they take some poor unlucky soul and they throw him out in the middle of the wilderness, you know. And he tries to survive or she tries to survive. Um, they're like I'm just a junkie. I just like watching that stuff, okay. And as you watch those shows, series go on in season one, season two, season three somewhere in the first two to three seasons, every single one of them will have an episode that I call the cave episode, okay? Where this, <laughs> this poor guy, they're gonna stick him in the deepest, darkest cave they can find and let him try to find his way out, okay? And I hope they do research and like scout them out, and I think they do, because I've never seen one of them die. Um, but at some point in the show, okay, and, and check this out, it's gonna be quite the visual, all right? At some point in the show, That poor dude, he's going to be down on his belly. Okay? I know this is great. You've all longed to see this happen. Uh, He's going to be army crawling his way through a cave. And you can't see anything. You can hear his voice. And he's like, I can hear water. I hope I don't die. Right? And he's coming through. And out in front of him, he sees a light. He sees a little pinpoint of light. And he's like, hey. Hey. I think I see light, right? And he keeps going. Hopefully I'm not mooning anybody. Uh, he keeps going and, he, and the light's getting a little bigger. And he's like, oh, there's the light. I see it, right? And he's walking and he, he eventually walks and the cave opens up and there's daylight in front of him. The friends, I think that's such a, a great metaphor for our lives and such a great metaphor for this series that like when you feel like you're in the, the dark on some of these big questions with life, that you feel like your army crawling your way through the cave, looking out for snakes, right? That when you see the light, keep heading towards it, right? You get a little taste of it. Keep asking the hard questions, right? Keep talking to people. Keep seeking truth. Keep seeking the light. That Jesus said that he's the light of the world and that his light shines in the darkness. So my encouragement to each of you is to keep chasing the light